And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Top 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 Podcast. I'm your host, Harris Arena. That is my co-host, Dan Kiley. Dan, how are you doing today on this Friday evening? Uh, it, it's a little weird saying Friday because I'm used to saying Tuesday. Hey, it's Friday. My work week is done, and I don't have to go back to work till July 11th because I'm going on Ooh. vacation. So I am jacked. Everybody else has got a chance to take their vacations. Jeremiah, Jonathan, you, everybody except for me, is my turn. That is right. Dan's going on vacation. I hope I, I don't know where he's going. I haven't talked to him yet. I don't know if he's going anywhere, but uh, we wanted to wish y'all uh, all a happy 4th of July. I hope y'all uh, get to enjoy some time with your family, including Dan. Um, I also will be heading on a little trip, um, going down to the beach for a little bit at some point um, in the next two days. So that'll be fun. Uh, but we will be back here. Just a little uh, house cleaning. We will be back next Friday. Uh, yes, two back-to-back Friday episodes in a row. I still got to talk with Dan about what time we want to do. Um, but next Friday, make sure you tune in to, uh, next Friday evening um, for episode 48 of the Top Dog Talk podcast. But with that, we have a lot to cover, Dan, because the last time we did a show was about, I guess, what, 10 days ago? Um, because, I mean, you know, this isn't our usual Tuesday show. Tuesday show, and right after our last episode, episode 46 of the Top Dog Talk podcast, Arch Manning, the enigma, the... You know, biggest recruit of all time, as I've heard. Probably, you know, to be safe, I say the biggest recruitment of the last decade. Uh, you know, because it goes back pretty far. But decided to go out with his announcement uh, and committed to the University of Texas. Much to our surprise, uh, you know, we hosted Brooks last week. And, you know, I think all three of us were on the same page that we weren't buying the Texas hype. You know, Georgia was treating it as just another recruitment. And, you know... Texas had all the noise going on over there, and we were buying it. And then he did. So, Dan, I want to get your thoughts. I mean, what did you think when Arch Manning announced? And um, I wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, was a Twitter, was a tweet, your your expectation for how he was going to announce it? Well, I was shocked because, I mean, like you said, going back to our show, the last show that we did, we had Brooks on. And, you know, to loosely quote Brooks in his – uh, interpretation of Texas is you're doing too much, bro. You know, it's like Texas was just out there. It, it just really kind of caught me off guard because I really thought Georgia was in a good spot. I thought what Texas had going on with, with the lack of what they had going on, um, the questions around the stability of the program. I thought Georgia was in a great spot. Um, it seemed like he really enjoyed himself every single time he was here. Uh, I just felt very comfortable with it, and I thought Georgia was in a really good spot. And then all that smoke started coming out that Texas was like way ahead and all this other stuff, and then he was going to go there. And, you know, it's kind of like, you know, prior to an NFL draft or something like that, teams kind of say stuff all the time, and you're like, you don't believe anything that they're saying, you know? So to, to the short answer is I was caught a little bit off guard. I didn't expect him to go there. But then when you hear – in the crazy thing is all these people are like, I'm hearing, I'm hearing, I'm hearing. You're not hearing anything because he wasn't talking to anybody. But when he finally did talk and what he finally said was that he wanted to go to a program like Texas who is not winning right now because if he goes in there and he wins a national championship, you know, he's the guy that did it. And I guess – in a way, you've got to be able to respect that. And then it kind of fits, and I sent out a tweet right afterwards, that it kind of fits the Manning profile. Peyton was one of the highest recruits ever, and he could have went anywhere he wanted to. He went to Tennessee. And I'm not saying Tennessee was like 
a doormat program. They weren't, but they were not a dominant program. They were not the team of the of the day, so to speak, where you know they were the hot commodity. And he he chose to go somewhere else where he had to work for it and anything that he got out of it. You know, and, and to be fair, Tennessee won the national championship with T. Martin at quarterback, but they won it because of Peyton, because of everybody coming into the program because of him. So, you know, a lot of that credit goes to Peyton. And then if you look at Eli, Eli was one of the highest recruited quarterbacks of all time. He could have went anywhere he wanted to in, you know, all the big programs, Alabama, everybody, the USC, everybody wanted Eli. And he chose to go to Ole Miss because that's where his dad went to school. And kind of the, the same mentality where, he wanted to be the guy to bring them out of the uh, the dweller, the um, uh, I can't think of the word I'm looking for, the seller, so to speak, and, and rise in the prominence. He wanted to be that guy. Now he didn't necessarily do to that old miss, and they were slightly competitive, but they didn't really win anything of note. But at the end of the day, Peyton went number one overall. Eli went number one overall. It, you know. Whether Arch wins a national championship at Texas or not, or hell, if he even stays at Texas all four years, who knows? But you know, Arch will probably be the number one quarterback too. But then, yeah, I'll let you react to that, but then I have a follow-up. So you go ahead and react to what happened, and then I got a follow-up. You know, everything you just said is kind of the same thing that I was thinking at the same time. I I, I thought it was a really clever tweet because um, I didn't put all the pieces together like you did, talking about how, you know, they've never gone to a national championship contender or, you know, at that point in time, none of the Mannings did. I don't know about Archie. I don't know what Ole Miss was looking like back in uh, – Archie's days. Dan wasn't even alive. I sure <laughs> as heck wasn't even alive. Um, you know, so I don't know what Ole Miss was looking at. And I don't even care to go uh, on Wikipedia and try and look it up. But, you know, really, it, it got me wondering, you know, trying to go back and, and look at Georgia's staff and, and look at the potential inroads that Georgia had to the Manning family. You know, the one that I could find that was a direct connection to them was between Matt Luke and Eli Manning. Matt Luke was the starting center uh, or uh, – I don't know if he played center. I think he played – I I thought he played center. I think he played center, um, if my memory holds correct. And he ended up graduating a year before Eli Manning went to Old Miss. Um, but Matt Luke stuck around uh, as a GA for one year and was there when Eli was there. So that was that was the big connection on Georgia staff, if I'm not wrong, um, personal connection between Georgia staff and the Manning family. And obviously Matt Luke stepped down after – uh, you know, winning a national championship with Georgia to go be a dad and, uh, you know, enjoy that that aspect of life. Because, I mean, you can't blame him. He has kids that are middle school um, and, and wants to see him grow up. But also, you know, the game's changing. The the coaching world is, is very different. We're going to get into a little bit of that in a little bit. But, you know, it got me wondering how much did Matt Luke's step down, you know, his stepping down, his resignation, his leaving the staff affect Georgia, you know, Obviously, that's a familiar face for Arch, but if it was all along about, you know, going somewhere where he's, you know, going to be able to make his own legacy, you know, be able to, you know, be the savior of Texas, you know, then I don't I don't know if Georgia really had a shot with him. You know, there was a video that surfaced not long after he committed of him wearing a Texas shirt um, when he was a little kid saying he wants to go to Texas. And, you know, if that's where he was at and if that's what he wanted to do, then God bless him, right? I mean... At the end of the day, every one of these kids has to make the decision what's best for them, what's best for their long-term future. And I always come back to, like when I talk to younger guys and they're talking about, I want to go here, there, and the other, I always ask them, is that someplace you'd want to live the rest of your life? Because if you, know, if you go to University of Georgia and you graduate, 
from there and you're a player there and you and if you plan on living the rest of your life here in Georgia, that makes a lot of sense, right? Because if you're a superstar player here in Georgia, you've been here long enough to know the way that people react to you, it's going to be easier to get jobs. You know, you're more open in the community. But like, let's say you want to go to, I don't know, um, you want to go to Tennessee, right? What is that where you want to, you want to spend the rest of your life in Knoxville? I mean, maybe you do. And if you do, good for you. But, you know, like Jacksonville, do you want to get, or, you know, University of Georgia down in Gainesville, do you want to spend the rest of your life down in Gainesville? I don't. That's not anywhere I'd want to be. Would you want to spend the rest of your life in Tuscaloosa? Hell no. Not a chance in hell that I would want to do that. But, yeah, Austin, Texas is an absolutely beautiful town. I mean, they always say keep Austin weird. And they've got, like, a crazy homeless thing going on. But, you know, I I had the chance to go out there a couple of years ago and and really kind of take it all in. It's a really cool town. And, you know, if you'd want to hang around Austin or any part of Texas, I mean, if you're a Texas Longhorn and you live in Texas, I'm sure they treat you pretty much the same way. But moving on to what my follow-up was is, you know, he goes and and I and I for the longest time I had the question, how good is he? Like he's one of four perfect ranked quarterbacks in the history of the college rankings. You had Vince Young, Tra- um, you had it written down. Vince Young, Trevor Lawrence, and Quinn Ewers. Three of the four perfect ranked quarterbacks have ended up at Texas, which is crazy, right? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but he wanted to play for Sarkeesian. I get it. But, you know, I started having the questions and I was putting it out there and it kind of fell on deaf ears. And then the people who did respond were like, you're an idiot, which, you know, fair, maybe I am an idiot, but how good is he? And then I started to see some quarterback evaluators come out uh, publicly now talking about He's not camping, and, and we talked about this with Brooks last week. He's not camping, and Brooks like, well, he doesn't have to. And I get it, but you know, now there's a lot of people starting to question, why is he not competing? Why did he not do the Elite 11? All the other great quarterbacks have done the Elite 11. Why not him, right? I mean, Brock Vandergrift, I don't think he did, but he didn't camp very much. Uh, I don't know if Gunner did or not. I'm not 100% sure. But you know, if this kid is supposed to be the best quarterback prospect in america and you know the best that we've seen in such a long time and he's competing against to quote the uh the article that i wrote slow white kids in private school in louisiana who those guys can't compete with him at all i mean it's it's ridiculous how bad they are don't you think that he would want to expose himself to other elite talents and kind of judge where he's at and he's not been willing to do that. He didn't do the Elite 11. He's not doing any of these camps. And a lot of the Elite 11 judges, and you know, maybe part of it is uh, sour grapes and they're trying to like call him. I don't know what maybe you know, there might be some motivation for the comments, but um, don't forget to like the video. Yes, please like our video. <laughs> um, but a lot of the comments that are coming out, you know, from these Elite 11 coaches and stuff is they're really disappointed that he didn't want to compete. And they're starting to ask the question why he's not willing to compete. Why would he not want to uh, stack himself up? And then, you know, there's some whispers that like, well, if he were to compete side by side with these other guys, he's going to get embarrassed. Now we're going to find out because he's going to go to University of Texas and he's either every last bit of what they claim, they claim he is or he's not. And, you know, part of me, very small part, but part of me is kind of like, damn, I'm kind of glad he didn't come to Georgia now because it's going to be a circus anyway. 
And then imagine that 1% chance, just that 1% chance that he really is a fraud and he does it on Georgia's watch. Well, then you know what our, our rivals are going to say. You well, know what the fan base is going to say. Huh? You know what the fan base is going to say. Oh, yeah. He wasn't. He was the can't miss greatest quarterback ever, and Georgia ruined him. So part of me is like, I just – we don't need that. So I, I just have a lot of – I have a lot more questions about him here more recently than I did in the past. And it's not sour grapes for me that, that he didn't come here because I – I'm on record saying that I wanted I wanted him here at Georgia, but then again, I you know these kids they just kind of make the right decision. So I I don't know I I'm so conflicted on this arch thing. I it would have been so cool to have him here, but then again, part of me is just like I'm so glad we don't have to deal with that circus now. Well, Jonathan and, and, and Jeremiah, I forget which one of you. So let me know in the comments, uh, Jonathan. You said you, this uh, you making a comment was your appearance. I don't know if you're still with us. Uh, I don't know if you're on your cruise yet or if you're somewhere over the ocean. Um, I, I'm sure me and Dan would uh, I speak for both of us when I say we'd love to join you on that cruise. But, um, you know, they pointed out in their show, the Classic City Sports Podcast, um, you know, the one thing that we're avoiding now with Archie going to Texas is, you know, what if he doesn't start as a true freshman? You don't have to avoid, you know, we don't have to deal with the onslaught of, you know, oh, you know, quarterback A is playing terrible. Put an Arch Manning. You know, Kirby Smart can't, you know, playing his favorites. Put an Arch Manning. You know, basically what what we went through with Justin Fields. And you don't have to deal with that again. Uh, because, you know, we knew it was going to happen. If Arch didn't start as a true freshman, it was going to happen. Because, you know, Carson Beck or Brock Vandergriff, whoever the starting quarterback is in 2023, they make one bad play, everyone's at Kirby Smart's throat saying put in the true freshman. So I'm glad we don't have to deal with that. Um, but now I want to take this into kind of a different direction, into more about what does it mean, not only for Georgia, and, but also for Texas, because, I mean, it, it kind of – the answer is, is out in the open. If you've been paying attention to, you know, what's been going on in the world of college football, you know, even deep down in the weeds of all things, and you've been keeping your ear close to the ground, you would know that Texas has 10 commits since Arch Manning committed last week which is ridiculous. It's it's eight days, Dan, after Arch Manning committed, and they have 10 commits. It is I, – I, I don't know if I've seen a run like this. It, you know, I, I can't remember something like this where they get 10 commits in, in a week. Um, and it's not like they're just pulling scrubs or the quote-unquote scrubs. Yeah, they got a few three stars in there, but they got two – they got three five – they have five – they have two five-star rated prospects, two four-stars, and three – and four three-stars. So they're not just pulling – you know, Joe blows out of, out of, out of Michigan, you know, they're actually getting guys, they're getting guys on their board and, and you know, it's showing you what having a Manning, not on the roster yet, but what having a Manning at your disposal can do for you because Texas, I mean, you know, remove NIL, remove arch from the situation. They probably go back to what being a top five, top 10, you know, recruiter, even with Sarkeesian at the wheel, you know, they've never, they, they haven't been, this elite recruiting machine over the last five to 10 years. But now with Sarkeesian in place and Arch Manning on board, you're going to get the elite players. You're going to start recruiting with the Alabamas and the Ohio States and Georgias of the world. You're going to start winning more of those battles. And we're, we're already seeing it. I mean, they already won with Arch. There are whispers going around they're that they're about to win another recruiting battle. Uh, you know, you can go look on the internet for that one. Um, you know, th they're competing now, even after five and seven season. And I can tell, you know, 
Georgia fans, yeah, they're upset. Not not really upset. They're upset that they're losing. Bat, you know, they think they're losing more recruiting battles than they're used to. When you know, in reality, it's still June. But Dan, I mean, what impact does this have on Georgia going forward in recruiting? Well, I think one of the biggest impacts would be look at the players that Texas got. I mean, one of the commitments they got was what the number one receiver in the country. Oh, uh, close and, to it. Yeah, five star kid. Well. The amount of people that committed right after he committed, they were waiting to see where he was going. So they must have it on pretty good authority through him that he's not going to flip. So I saw immediately after the commitment, everyone was like, ha-ha, left Kirby too much time. He's going to flip them. All of Kirby's quarterbacks are flipped. And I get it, and I agree. Kirby has done a fantastic job of flipping guys. I mean, George Pickens was the last day, right? I mean, signing day is when he pulled that flip off. And Jermaine Burton know. was last minute. Yeah, I mean, he, so he's – He's been able to do it, but a lot of these, and of course there's exceptions to every rule. So I'm sure that somebody could pop in in two seconds and say, ha ha, I remember this guy did. But for the most part, these elite quarterbacks that you create an entire class around, once they make their commitment, that's where they are because now their next job is to go ahead and get everybody to go play there. Like Justin Fields, once he committed to Georgia, he, you know, he went on a run and got a bunch of guys to come play with him. And you said, you can't remember, uh, somebody committing so quickly, whatever. But you, when Justin Fields committed to Georgia, there was a slew of guys that committed right after. Same with Jacob Eason too. Once Jacob Eason confirmed he was he was coming, he wasn't going to flip. A bunch of guys came to come play with him, and you know they're they're both partly responsible for some of the receivers that we've had come through. Um, the success we've had recruiting uh, wide receivers is because they wanted to play with those quarterbacks. Now. You know, who knows what that's going to mean for Texas. They got a bunch of commitments. Like you said, four of them were offensive linemen. Uh, I'm sure that, you know, Arch has a Rolodex of guys that he wants to protect his ass because, you know what, you could you could look really good if you're in the pocket and nobody could touch you. So he's probably calling every offensive lineman in the country the worth of crap going, hey, would you come to Texas with me? Um, you know, just stand there. Just don't let anybody touch me. Um, you know, receivers are going to flock to him. But, you know, again – and I saw somebody put this out there, and I can't remember who it was. Maybe it was one of our guys. I'm not sure. Um, somebody put it, well, you know, that's great that you got Arch Manning and you're getting some receivers and stuff, but your defense sucks. And that's fair. I mean, we've seen Oklahoma do that, right? And in, te- in Ohio State. Well, Ohio State's actually pretty good all the way around. but like They're, they're average. They're above average. Yeah, well, we've seen a lot of these teams. They've built these great offenses, but their defense can't stop anybody. So, you know, I mean, Georgia wins the national championship on the back of, you know, one of the greatest defenses in the history of college football. I mean, they know how important defense is. I think Sarkeesian knows how, how important defense is, but I just don't know that they can pull the defenders that they need to. Like, Georgia's on the verge of putting one of the best defensive classes in the history of uh, recruiting together in this class. And, you know, George's offense, we, we've talked about they have a chance to be really, really good uh, with or without Arch Manning. I mean, with the guys that we have here, we have a chance to be plenty good. But our defense is going to be amazing year in and year out. It just is. We're not going to stop recruiting defensive players. So our team is going to have a chance to be successful whether we have the greatest quarterback ever or not. But Texas, they can have the greatest quarterback, but they're going to win games 65 to 64. I mean, how are they planning on winning these football games? So, you know, based on what we know at this moment, Arch makes them better. Hell yes, he makes them better. He's going to make their class better. But if they don't recruit defenses and start playing defense over there, he's going to be a, you know, you're going to win seven to eight games if you're one of those teams anyway, because you're half your, you know, roster or not roster, but your schedule is terrible, right? Until they get into the SEC. 
which is 2025. And that's going to lead us into our next topic. But, you know, I'll let you finish this topic off. And, and you know, they did land. One of those five stars was a five-star safety. Uh, I think it was the day after. So, they're, you know, that's something we got to see. You know, yes, he's going to pull all these, you know, elite offensive talents with him. Uh, and Georgia, you know, it sucks because, you know, obviously you want all the talent you can get offensively because, you know, Georgia's starting to pick up, um, at, at least recently, starting to find all these hidden gems on their offense and they're developing them. Uh, just look at the receiver room. But, you know, you also want the five-star, you know, the no doubts, kind of like George Pickens. You want that 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 fanfare that comes with a five-star wide receiver. So, you know, Arch would help you get that, and he's certainly helping Texas with that. Um, but, you know, like Dan said, Darren has a point. Yes, their offense is going to be great. Their offense is going to be a top five, top ten uh, unit this year and, and probably the next year. They, they already got some weapons on their roster uh, that have, you know, made a name for themselves so far. Bijan Robinson, Xavier Worthy, they got options, um, no doubt. Uh, they also pulled in a few transfers. They got some some Bama transfers, Dan. Um, you know, getting off Daddy Saving up there uh, in Tuscaloosa. But, you know, like Dan says, you're going to have to get a defense. You, you know, you don't need an elite defense. You don't need a historical defense to win a national championship. It's got to be good. It's got to be, you know, above average. Um, you know, I think LSU's 20, 2018 defense was a little underrated. Yeah, their pass rush wasn't as good as, you know, as people would have expected from a championship team, definitely wasn't near the heights of Georgia's defensive line or pass rush, but their corners were stacked. I mean, you had Derek Stingley um, back there, and I'm forgetting, I'm blanking on the name. They had lined up across of them. They had um, safety plays, I think plays for the rounds now. Um, gosh, I'm blanking all of these names. Caleb Von Chase almost an edge rusher. You know, they were stacked, and I think they were a little underrated. Um, you know, Bama's defense this past year was pretty good. Um, not, you know, not the best they've had, but, you know, you can win with an above average to average defense. So I'm looking forward to seeing what all good, you know, what happens. But Dan, real quick, before we move on from this segment, you know, Georgia has big decisions on their hands. Uh, you know, Brooks Austin covered it well over at SI Dogs Daily. What exactly is going on? Uh, what exactly Georgia has to do or, or what their decisions are? You can go find it over at dogsdaily.com. Dan, they got two options, and I would like to hear um, your opinion on what you would like to see. You know, option A is, you know, you just move on from this 2023 class entirely at the quarterback position and start focusing guys, you know, for next year's class, 2024's class uh, and beyond, you know, which features a name like Dylan Riola, who many believe is, you know, maybe the better prospect when compared to Arch Manning. Uh, he, he certainly faced some top-class competition out there in Arizona. Um, his dad, Dominic Riola, played with, you know, was the starting center with uh, Matthew Stafford, former Bulldog, and, and that was kind of a connection there. Um, and, you know, maybe if Georgia didn't go after Arch Manning, maybe you have Riola in this class. Um, you know, I, I don't know, but, uh, you know, and then you look at Julian Sane, who has picked up a lot of buzz over the last few days. Uh, I've seen his name in plenty of articles, uh, talking about him and in, in Georgia. It, it's going to be interesting to see if you can get him. And then you have DJ Lagway, who, who's another five-star prospect. Um, so th that is your options. If you move on from this 2023 class of quarterbacks, you know, you got a lot of talent to look forward to in the years beyond. Then you get into option B which is try and get back in on one of the quarterbacks in the class. You know, there are some names that Georgia's been linked with. Dan, you brought up one last week talking about Marcel Reed, um, a current old Miss commit. Uh, I, I think that was one of the ones you brought up. You know, I, I don't know if Georgia can get back into that one or flip him away from Lane Kiffin. It's going to be tough because, I mean, what quarterback would have want to play in that system? And then you got Dylan Lonergan, who 
you know, I haven't heard much buzz about with Georgia in a long time. So, you know, we'll we'll see. But Dan, what do you prefer? Are you wanting to move on and go find the next best option? You know, the next, you know, the best option in twenty twenty four, or would you like to see if you know you can snag one and take a quarterback basically every year like they have over the last few years? So my initial thought was that they would just wait to 2024, like Brooks said last week, that they would just punt it on all together. But then I sent you a uh, – well, actually, I didn't send it to you. But uh, the day after the Arch thing, On3 had an article talking about Georgia's latest school uh, to enter the recruitment of four-star Baylor commit Austin Novosad. So um, big, strong-arm guy, uh, athletic, can play, make plays with his legs. Uh, don't know a whole lot about him other than what I read. But apparently, uh, he's a real deal, a uh, real good player. Uh, he was in the Elite 11 competition. I don't know how he did or whatever. Um, but, you know, I mean, if they're going mean, to – that's a name I didn't know. But then again, like, you know, it's something that Brooks said a long time ago is that George is in on a lot of these guys. You don't hear their names and they, you know, they're not they, – they don't put anything out there for your consumption. So if they've got a relationship with this guy, enough so – so much of a relationship to where they got him on campus within a day. They made a phone call, got him on campus. I haven't heard Brooks or anybody else cover this. I don't know how Alan three got it and nobody else got it, but Austin Novosad, I don't know him. If you want to look him up, feel free, but they wrote a pretty nice article about him and talked about he's a, he, they got a real shot to try to flip him from Baylor. Uh, because, you know, if you're looking at that kid, you're like, Hey, Baylor or Georgia, Baylor or Georgia. I think I'm going to go to Georgia, but you know, Maybe he doesn't want to come in with such a loaded room. But I think at the end of the day, maybe they could get somebody like that. But if not, uh, I think 2024 is where they're going to have to get back in on it big time. Um, there's so much time before that class is ready to go. I don't care where anybody's committed to. I, I think the Riola kid, uh, we have a really good chance. I mean, Stafford has got a great relationship with the family. Um, he's already told the guy that he could use his house while he's living here. I mean, come on. Uh, yeah, I think we got a good shot with a kid like that. So I, I don't know which which way they're going to go. I'm sure that they're going to kick the tires on some of these quarterbacks. Maybe, you know, you're probably out at this point on any five-star for this class. But, you know, you get a high four-star. I mean, like I said, I don't know this Austin Novosad kid from anybody, but just the highlight clip that they had tagged in the video, I okay. <laughs> I mean, I'll take him. I mean, a kid can play. But, you know, I feel like – the, the biggest winner out of all of this is Gunnar Stockton because I was thinking to myself, that kid is never going to step foot on the field. And I feel bad for him because he's a good quarterback. He's from here. His dream was to play at Georgia. But we said the same thing about Stetson Bennett. So who's to say that Gunner doesn't get the shot and, and win it. And the other quarterbacks are, you know, I mean, he's not the biggest guy in the world. And that was some of our concern uh, with Gunner is he's not big, but Georgia's shown that that does not matter to them at all. So, and Gunner can freaking rip it. You know, I, I thought Brock was um, ready-made to be a quarterback here at Georgia. Um, but you know what? It's, it's funny when you listen to the talk, It's you hear a lot about Carson Beck, and then you don't hear anything about Brock or Gunner. They don't ever – I mean, and maybe that's by design. They don't want uh, to inflate their head in any type, type of way or whatever. I don't know what the case is. but And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you guys do hear a lot about him. But I – for the life of me, I, I don't ever see anything on Brock or Gunner. And Gunner, you know, I think a lot of people forget Gunner broke the records of, you know, holds, I, I think holds multiple state records uh, in Georgia, you know, that were once held by Sean Watson and Trevor Lawrence. So this is no, this is no, you know, 
scrub that George has picked up. This is an actual dude. Um, did a lot uh, through his high school career. One of the most decorated quarterbacks, you know, in, in the state of, coming out of the state of Georgia in a long time. You know, breaking the records with Sean Watson and Trevor Lawrence—that's no easy task. Um, no matter what those records are. So I, I'm excited to see where he goes. And, and going back to your point about Officer Novasad and, and Georgia pursuing him, uh, over at the SI Ohio, um, Buckeye site, I, I, I forget, I'm blanking on the name of their site, so I'm sorry. Um, but they were covering um, that Ohio State's also in on him and could be pursuing a flip um, from Baylor. So that is some you know high-level competition there um, with Georgia. Georgia is trying to pick up on a 2023 uh, quarterback, but it does make you feel better. Um, when talking about, you know, the evaluations of these quarterbacks, if Ohio State's in on someone that George also wants. So um, that's going to wrap up kind of our Arch Manning, uh, the Texas segment of today. We want to touch on it, but didn't want to spend too much time on it because, you know, the fan base from the most part, from what I've seen for the most part, you know, wants to move on. And they already have moved on in some cases. Uh, you know, we're back on the regular beat over here, you know, at SI Dogs Day, we're covering, um, you know, day to day, whatever goes on. Uh, you know, and, and you know, with the University of Georgia, and now we got to talk about you know what's coming next in college football, Dan, because it's been an IL for a while. We talked about it. That was you know the big the big headline um throughout most of this offseason. and now we're going you know in a direction that I necessarily don't like, and it's the college football super conferences. Uh, you know, Dan, this broke last this broke yesterday afternoon. And it all started, you know, this is the second biggest domino to fall in the realignment of conferences in college football, both Pac-12 powerhouses historically. Um, USC and UCLA will be joining the Big Ten Conference no later than 2024. You know, like I just said, the two biggest names in the Pac-12. All, you know, any money, most of the money that the Pac-12 makes now, you know, and, and it's probably the least lucrative, you know, TV deal uh, out of all the Power Five conferences, just because they're at a disadvantage uh, when it comes to the East Coast viewers playing, you know, late at night on the East Coast, it's because of the name value of USC and UCLA. Now they're going to the Big Ten, and you know, it, it's going to cause a stir because right now, you know, we saw what happened last summer when Texas and OU decided they wanted to join the SEC, and that's you know. It, that's still to come. That's official. They are joining at you know by at least 2025. Uh, it could happen earlier, especially because you know the Big 12 went out and got you know Cincinnati, Houston, and Central Florida to join, and those you know those teams will be joining the Big 12 next offseason. So you know, is Texas going to stick around in an expanded uh, Big 12 for another two years, two three years, or they're going to get out of their contract early and come join the SEC? Um, and, and really, you know, start giving everyone a new, you know, a look at what the new college football um, will look like. And Dan, I just want to touch on this real quick before I hand it over to you. You know, everyone, I think for the most part, everyone's excited about, you know, this this realignment in college football. And, and yes, on face value, you know, super conferences mean more money for schools, which is why they're probably, you know, all down for it. Even though it's more competition at the end of the day, hey, it's more money. And money means more, you know, than anything to these programs. So, but, you know, it doesn't mean a better product. And I say yes, because every given Saturday, you're going to have, you know, multiple, you know, potentially multiple really good matchups, you know, whether it's USC, Ohio State, and then Georgia-Auburn on the same weekend, like, you don't get that very often. Yeah, you got some stacked weekends here and there. So, yes, it means a better product. But it doesn't mean that for the majority of the sport. 
you're going to leave multiple schools and conferences out. Because, I mean, first off, if everything that's being reported, you know, ends up coming true, and Notre Dame joins the Big Ten, and then, you know, Miami, Clemson, and Florida State, the two biggest, you know, the three biggest name brands uh, left in the ACC join the SEC, you're putting the ACC and the Pac-12, you know, at risk of going extinct. They're already basically on life support because, you know, the SEC and the Big Ten are coming to poach some of their teams. You know, Notre Dame basically is an ACC team. They competed in the ACC the other year uh, when 2020 happened and COVID hit. Uh, they competed for the ACC title, and they beat Clemson in the regular season. You know, but what is North Carolina, North Carolina State, Wake Forest, Georgia Tech going to do when Miami, Clemson, and Florida State leave the SEC? Because if the SEC wants them, they're going to get them. Because who who would turn down those lucrative contracts? Who's going to turn down, you know, almost a $30 million, I saw, estimated increase in revenue for each school? if you add those three teams into the SEC. You're, but, you know, yes, you get your two super conferences. You get the SEC and the Big Ten. But what you're doing is all the work that the NCAA has said and all these people have said who supported it, you know, the quote-unquote work to level the playing field is being undone. What is the point of NIL other than to help players, you know, make their money, but also everyone who defends NIL and, and you know, basically just paying players in front of our eyes you know, coming out of high school, something Dan's going to touch on later in the show, you know, how's that leveling the playing field? Because, you know, the SEC and the Big Ten, all the schools in there are going to be able to offer you much more money legally, too, because they're going to have, you know, over $30 million increase in revenue. That's just for, the, I think that was for both conferences, but that may just be for the SEC. So you're putting you're putting college football on a tier system, and I don't like it. And Dan, I'm, I'm curious to see, how you feel about these tiers? Because I've listed them out on the uh, on the sheet. It's you know the big two conferences with the SEC and the Big Ten. You're gonna have the middle three conferences with the ACC, the Big Twelve, and the Pac-12, and then you're gonna have your group of five conferences, basically in the third tier of all this. Now this this is how the tiers are gonna be put together. You know, as long as a third super conference does not get created, we don't know what's gonna happen. We don't know if the Big Twelve is gonna go get Oregon and Washington. I don't know if that if I would put them in a I would call that a super conference. It would definitely be a step up from where they are now. But you know, if the SEC and the Big Ten are you know the top two in the sport, who's going to want to go play anything below them? Well, that's a lot to unpack and all that stuff that you just said. But I'll start here with USC and. UCLA. Last year, the Pac-10 paid out $19.8 million per school from the conference. The SEC paid out $70 million per school. You don't have to be any type of math wizard or you don't have to be smart even to figure out there's a huge inequity there. So why would you want to stay in the... And then the Conference of Champions, the Pac-12. Well, USC and UCLA have 225 of your 337 national championships. That is a stat. 225 of your 337 have just left your conference. Now, granted, Stanford has 123 national championships on their own, and they are number one in the nation with the most uh, national titles of all time. And that's all sports. In the South, we don't give a shit about all those other sports. We only care about football for the most part, but... I mean, think about it. 
So the Conference of Champions have 337 national championships right now. The, the next closest is like 225, and I think it's the Big Ten. And then the SEC is like right behind that, like 214 or something like that. Um, I had I had it, and I can't find it because they had a breakdown of every single conference. So that they had, and then so but once you move Texas and Oklahoma into the Big Ten uh, into the SEC, and you move the two um, UCLA and USC into the Big Ten. Uh, the Big Ten is now the Conference of Champions, and the SEC is right behind them by like three or four. So you know we can catch them in a year or two. But yeah, it's 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 a really big deal that they're moving out, and then that leaves the Pac-12 on life support. They don't have anything, right? And then the Big Twelve, they don't have anything either because they're the two flagship franchises from that conference are joining the SEC. Now, I, I've heard so much stuff in the last couple of days about who's going to go where, right? And, you know, like, oh, this would be my dream scenario. Georgia Tech going to the Big Ten makes a lot of damn sense. It didn't to a lot of people, but hear me out. The Big Ten is trying to do what the SEC did and try to get into these markets, right? Why did, why did we bring Texas and Oklahoma in? Is because we wanted that market. Why did we bring Missouri? It's, it's, it's growing that footprint, right? Well, where does the Big Ten not have any teams is down here. They want to be able to recruit from the South, right? So if you can get a team like Georgia Tech, to, it, you know, it just makes it easier. And Ohio State has never had a problem coming into Georgia getting players. They get who they want for the most part. But imagine, like, some of the kids that don't go there is like, my parents will never get to see me play. They're not going to be able to come. Well, like, well, Georgia Tech's on our schedule because they're in our conference. I mean, you know, and it gets more exposure for the Big Ten just being in this market. So Georgia Tech going to the Big Ten, I would look for that to actually happen. I think that's real, even though Georgia Tech is not like a prize, so to speak. It's not the school they want. It's the location that they want. And that makes a lot of sense. You know, and you and I were kind of going back and forth via text about, you know, there were stipulations in the in the agreements with the SEC where we wouldn't go after Clemson to protect South Carolina. We wouldn't go after any more Florida schools to protect Florida. Well, with the way that everything is is changing, and Ben Ben Reno is that your brother? I'm guessing. Can, uh, affirmative. Uh, saying that Georgia Tech would meet the academic requirements, absolutely they would, and that that is a great point to point out. Um, a, a terrific point to point out because that, that blow that academic standard in the water, just out of the water. Well, no, the, the Michigan like their academic requirements are ridiculous. They're kind of like Duke, where they don't really. They don't really lower their academic requirements for athletes, so it you know it makes sense. It all fits, but you know, bringing in like bringing into the SEC, you talk about Clemson, that makes a hell of a lot of sense, and that's something that I've been talking about forever. I would love to see Clemson in the SEC. I think that's where they belong. They fit, you know, up until last year, they 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 were built like an SEC team, right? And I think it's hard to argue that Clemson's not built like an SEC team, but FSU. It's just been so terrible. Like, do we really want them? I mean, I guess you have to take them, right? And then Miami, I get it, why you would want Miami. Um, But, again, they're kind of like living on the past, right? Like, FSU and Miami were so special in the 90s and early 2000s, but they haven't really done anything since then. So, it's like um, bringing them in, is is it more of a benefit to us or to them? And I think at this moment it would be more of a benefit to them. Um, but I would be surprised if there is a, a random team somewhere that jumps up into the SEC or jumps into the Big Ten that you just didn't see coming. And then I guess 
what they're going to have to do with these other conferences is just try to piece it together. You're not going to have a Big 12 or a Pac-12. You just might have big. Uh, or just I, I don't know. You're going to have teams all over the damn place. But one of the unintended consequences of all this, before I'll uh, let you get back to it, is this is fine for football. For the most part, it's okay for basketball. But for baseball and these non-revenue sports, baseball doesn't make money at any of these sports. I mean, hell, Ole Miss just won the national championship in baseball. I guarantee if you looked at their books, they lost money on the year. So all of these non-revenue sports. So now what you're telling me is you're going to have um, a girls' golf match uh, for U- UCLA. They have to travel to Rutgers. How in the hell is that going to work? I mean, like <laughs> – I, I mean, they're already going to Omaha for the, you know, the College World Series. So, you know. Yeah, it's in the middle of the country. Everybody can yeah. meet in the middle. You, you're talking about you have the farthest you can go on the West Coast. I can't do it with my hands. But you're going to go all the way from the bottom left all the way up to the far upper right of the United <laughs> States of America for a conference game. <laughs> it, it, you know, it, it would be like Georgia going to the Rose Bowl every every year, you know, once a week. One, you know, once every year going to the Rose Bowl to play in that venue. That that would be insane. I mean, so you want to hear something funny? So some smart ass on Twitter was talking about, oh, uh, just your your run of the mill fifty six hour car ride for a conference game. <laughs> That's hilarious. He and he he put up on the like his uh, ways or whatever. <laughs> he he took a screenshot fifty six hours. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, as as fun as it would be to see USC go to or uh, to Ohio State, you know, in the horseshoe for you know a, a, just a huge game, you know, are they gonna have to relocate the conference championship games? I mean, because you think of that, you know, that's in Indianapolis at the Big Ten. You know, SEC has it, for, you know, easier because you know Oklahoma and Texas. That's not that far away. You know, the time difference is not really a factor at all. You know, they can go to Atlanta and be all right. It's just a plane ride. You know, for Georgia, they just hop on a bus and it's about 90 minutes, you know, and you're in Atlanta. So, but, you know, with the pack, with, with the Big Ten, you're, gonna, you're telling me you're going to fly on a plane all the way to Indianapolis, you know, basically once a year. Because, you know, I'm assuming if USC, if I bought, if USC is as good as, as everyone thinks they're going to be, they're going to be in the Big Ten championship, you know. I don't know where they're going to be in 2023. We're going to find out if you can just build a culture off of transfer portals because that's basically what Lincoln Riley's banking on. He's banking on he can get 9-10 wins just pulling kids out of the portal, you know, getting basically ready-made products to win right now. You know, it, it would effectively be being it, – it would, it would be like the Rams, you know, trading all their draft picks and just going into free agency. That's what they've done. You know, just screw draft picks – Go into the free agency and go get ready-made products. So we're going to find out with that. But, Dan, we're 40 minutes in, and we have not had Dan's new rants of the week. Um, I, I made a request to make an alteration to um, to a, an addition of sorts to this. So, Dan, I'm going to let you take it away. All right. So what we're going to talk about today is my rant. So what I'm mad about is we have, because of NIL now and the how – out of control it kind of got so fast you have high school seniors or rising high school seniors that have been guaranteed this nil money now in the millions i need you to think about this for just a second 
Because of NIL, we now have high school kids making more money having never played one snap of college football. We have them making more money than a starting NFL quarterback who won a Heisman Trophy. Do I need to say that again? We have high school kids who hadn't done a thing making more money than a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback who's starting in the NFL. Marcus Mariota making $2.2 million this year. Now we have high school kids making more money than him. That is absolutely ridiculous. There has to be something that we can do to put uh, – and I know it's a, a free market, right? You can make whatever you want to. But just how ridiculous is that? You have a guy who is a starting NFL quarterback who won a Heisman Trophy, which is the pinnacle of the college cycle. If you win the Heisman Trophy, you are the best player in college football. And that guy's making less money than a kid who's never thrown a college pass in his life. I, you know, to me, there's just something fundamentally wrong with that. And you can call me a hater all you want to. And you can say whatever you want to about me personally, about the way I feel about it. But that is absolutely freaking ridiculous that a high school kid should be making as much money as an NFL starter, regardless if you want a, a, a Heisman Trophy or not. That's irrelevant. And, you know, for the most part, the NFL quarterbacks are doing just fine. But just the fact that you have high school kids making more money than a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback starting in the NFL just blows my absolute mind. This NIL stuff is just completely out of control. And sidebar, hey, Jimbo. What you got to say now? <laughs> I didn't know if you're gonna go this direction. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, we didn't buy anybody. We're playing beyond the rules, and now you got a video of a staffer talking about, "Hey, you see up there in the suites? That's where all the people sit to pay you all the money to come here." Nah, but you didn't buy anybody, right? No, you didn't. I mean, Nick. Nick was wrong, right? Okay, all right. Well, um. Uh, anyway, so it's just absolutely freaking ridiculous and it's embarrassing. But I'm going to make this a two-parter because I don't have a whole lot to say on the NIL stuff. I, I know it's kind of like a moratorium, but I wanted just to get that out there in the in the atmosphere, just how ridiculous that is. But something that Dan is totally pumped up about is what the freaking Hawks did. How about that? We get DeJounte Murray which is great. You know, I didn't know a whole lot about him. I mean, obviously I've looked up on him and followed all that stuff, but they wanted a King's ransom for that guy. They wanted a holiday like package that they got. And we gave them three first round picks. Okay. Which if you're winning the way that you're supposed to be winning, all of those picks are going to be in the late twenties or, you know, maybe 30, who knows? And, you're not going to get anybody of significance at that part of the draft in basketball, which is goes to my other rant that we had a while back, which was how in the hell do you have not more than three players in the freaking draft? The NFL can find superstars in the seventh round, but yet somehow in the NBA draft, you can't. But anyway, um, DeJounte Murray, we get him. We gave up an expiring contract of um, Gallinari. And we get a playmaker that Trey wanted. 
this is who Trey wanted. This is a guy that he wanted to take the ball out of his hands, take some of that pressure off, get his usage rate down. And this is what he wanted, and we were able to get it done. And we didn't give up a King's Ransom. Now, as Woj said last night on Scott Van Pelt's show, the Hawks are probably kicking themselves in the ass a little bit because they jumped the gun on this Murray thing maybe a day too early because the following day, Kevin Durant comes out and says, I want to trade. Well, the Hawks had a bunch of assets at the time to possibly make that move or to do something with Kevin Durant. But Woj said, don't count the Hawks out. They're trying to get creative. And today, they traded away my favorite player, which is Kevin Herter, which I've liked him ever since he got here. He's kind of like a Swiss Army knife for us. He does a lot of different things. He can take the ball out of Trey's hands. But now that you got DeJounte Murray, you don't necessarily need him, which sucks for Kevin. Sucks for me because I actually like the guy. But we were able to get a first-round pick back for him and some other keys, some other players. And maybe we do have enough left now to go get somebody like Kevin Durant. Now, I know that's a pipe dream, and it's probably not going to happen. But at the end of the day, it's fun to talk about, and it's probably the first time in the last long time that we actually have a legitimate chance of landing some of these stars. I mean, the most realistic thing right now uh, would be us going to get Aiton. Uh, he's only 24, 25 years old. Uh, he was number one overall pick in the draft. Uh, great rim protector. Can shoot a little bit better than Capella. Uh, Woj said something last night. He said, if you know, there's probably a really uh, the most realistic way for this to happen would be signing trades where Kevin Durant ends up in Phoenix, Aiden ends up here uh, in Atlanta, draft picks get moved around, somehow Collins and probably Capella end up in Brooklyn, and that's probably the way they see it playing out as a three team trade. Who knows? But I'm just so happy that we were able to get a, a real weapon that can help Trey in the backcourt, and um, it's going to be a lot of fun. I just – so I'm pissed off about the ridiculousness of the NIL, which, okay, whatever, and super excited about what the Hawks are doing right now, and I'm excited about this season. That's my rant. <laughs> wanted to change it up there a little bit. Uh, Dan mentioned earlier in the week that he wanted to do something that he was pumped up about. Um, I think there may have been a word in between pumped up um, and all that, but uh, – this is going to take us in. We got 10 minutes um, until we hit that hour mark. So we're going to see if we can squeeze this in. I know we went an hour and 26 minutes. Um, I was I was pretty proud looking at the audience attention rate of how long um, the audience lasted through that. Um, a lot higher than I expected. But with that, we are going to finish out our fall camp position previews on the offensive side of the ball um, with the three positions everyone loves talking about. And if you don't like talking about these three positions, then, you know, I don't know what's wrong with you. You you may just be Kirby Smart. That that may be it. You, you may like talking about defense. But today we're going to be talking about quarterbacks, wide receivers, and tight ends. Uh, we thought, you know, we can bunch these up and, and talk about them all um, together because I think, you know, they're the three positions we've talked about a lot on this show. So we didn't want to spend too much time on them individually. So we just put them together. But, Dan, let's start with quarterbacks. You know, obviously we didn't touch on it. Too much. I mean, you touched on it a little bit with you know why Arch why losing out on Arch Manning doesn't kill Georgia's. You know, it, it doesn't hurt as bad because you do got a stacked quarterback room. Uh, it was Tony Barnhart that put out a tweet um, the day of saying, you know, Georgia still has a five star quarterback. They have two four stars. And you got a national championship winning quarterback. You know, that's that's one of the best rooms in college football at quarterback when you put it that way because you know Stetson Bennett led you to a national championship, made the biggest pass. 
um, that I yeah, I've been alive for. Um, second biggest pass to Buck Blue to Lindsey Scott against Florida. You know, if, if if Georgia lost that game back in 1980, you don't win a championship most likely. So you know, it was the second biggest pass. But you know, Bennett threw for over three thousand almost. Uh, almost threw for 3,000 yards right right there. He was close. Had 29 touchdowns and seven interceptions. At least still got people out here saying, you know, he's not he's not the best quarterback George, on Georgia's roster. And from a talent perspective, he may not be. But when you put him together with the pieces Georgia has around him, he's going to win you games. You know, expectation is to get back to the playoffs. That's, that's, that's what the expectation should be every year. And, you know, more this year than any other year because – Georgia has so many offensive weapons. Yes, your defense lost a lot of pieces, but anything less than a college football appearance, uh, college football playoff appearance, is a failure. Dan, you know, at, at least at least in my book for this year, that's what the expectation should be. You know, I have no doubt that that Cesson Bennett um, can be the starting quarterback on another undefeated regular season team. Because uh, looking at Georgia's schedule outside of Tennessee and Oregon, you know, it's not too daunting. So, you know, here's my thing. You know, you, you gave the stats for Stetson 3,000 yards, 29 touchdowns, and seven interceptions. But also keep in mind, and I know you said this before, I've said this before, every, a lot of people have brought it up, but just it's always good just to remind yourself that Stetson didn't play in every game. He wasn't the starter uh, for a while. He, he was never asked to put up the massive numbers, right? Because a lot of times we're up big early, I mean, I think what, Arkansas, weren't we up like 21 to nothing? Who, some, we were up 21 to nothing like the first two or three minutes on somebody. I don't even remember who it was. Maybe in Arkansas. Yeah, and it was just kind of like coasting from there on out. So, like, you know, Kirby, the one thing about Kirby that's different than some of these other coaches is, you know, Ohio State or, you know, I always go back to Bobby Bowden back in the day when he was at Florida State. And part of that was because they had to beat people so bad to make sure that they got in because they were independent. And then once they got to the ACC and whatever, but you know, Bobby Bowden, if he could put up 80 on you, he would do it. And he would do it every single week. Kirby's never done that. Like, I mean, I think the closest we can get to Kirby trying to shove it up somebody's backside was what they did to Vanderbilt last year. And we all took a little bit of pride in that, but even still, it could have been so much worse. And he pulls, um, you know, he pulls punches sometimes Kirby does, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't try to like, just rub it down somebody's throat. So, you know, Bennett's numbers could actually be better than what they actually were. But you have Carson Beck, who, um, by all accounts, has looked really, really good. Um, he's everything that you would necessarily want. Brock Vandergriff is supposed to be getting better and, you know, more comfortable in this offense. Uh, prototypical guy. I mean, then all, everything about him screams that he should be a massive D1 quarterback. And then you've got um, Gunner. You know, just lurking in the in the shadows, waiting for somebody to screw up and get an, oppor- get an opportunity. So uh, that that quarterback room is absolutely freaking loaded. And I, I did see somebody tweet out where, um, you know, uh, Stetson coming back for a sixth year has completely put a log jam on the Georgia quarterback room, and it's actually kind of hurt the development and productivity of these younger guys. And while there is some truth to that, you know, if, if these other guys were so much better, they would just win the job. Right. I mean, you, you have to believe that. I, I, I think you do. I think you have to believe that. And I want to believe that, that that's the case. So, and like I said, I'll, I'm on record and you know, I am, I'm like, 
Stetson's our guy, right? He's our starting quarterback. Unless he gets hurt. Then all bets are off. But anyway, so I, I think we're well-versed, well-covered. I think everybody else is pretty locked in on the quarterback room. We know what we have. We know where we are. But then let's move on to the wide receivers and tight ends, if you don't mind so much. So the the wide receiver room, we lose Pickens and Jermaine Burton from last season. Um, I think losing Pickens is a bigger deal than Jermaine Burton. Um, but, you know, as you mentioned right here in your notes, you're bringing back guys like, um, you know, uh, A.D. Mitchell, Lad McConkey, Karis Jackson. Uh, I always say don't forget about um, J- uh, Rosemary Jack Saint. Um, he's the guy that I'm excited about. And then, um, you know, Terrence Evers is on record saying he thinks A.D. Mitchell is going to be just the freaking guy. And Aaron Smith is coming back. And there was somebody else, um, one of the freshmen coming in. Dylan that, Bell uh, is who someone is, who – Yeah, Dylan Bell. That's who um, Terrence Edwards thinks is going to be the next superstar at Georgia's Dylan Bell. So you have those guys. And then, you know, when we were talking about this, um, Harrison, you said we can't talk about the receivers without talking about the tight ends. And we actually brought up Rudes. I don't know if he's still in the chat, but we talked about how Rudes is like, hey, listen, our tight ends are wide receivers. So we're going to cover them all together. You have so many freaking tight ends that can split out wide. Like, there's just so many guys to talk about that you can't really drill in on one guy without – uh, glossing over somebody else. I mean, Brock Bowers, we saw what he could do in the slot. Eric Gilbert, you know, whenever he uh, originally came in, um, Brooks was talking about that they were going to line him up at the X, the on the outside. Um, there, there's so many options with those guys. I mean, like we don't really 100% know what uh, Oscar Delp is going to do for the dogs, but uh, everything we saw in the spring game, it looked pretty good. And then you have Darnell Washington, who – for the life of me, I can't figure out why isn't our number one red zone target. There is just so much talent uh, in those two rooms, and they really kind of piggyback off of each other. While some people say our wide receiver room is not as deep, it doesn't necessarily have to be so deep right now because you have so many weapons in that tight end room that can really supplement. So, yeah, that, that wide receiver and tight end room is about as low as it could possibly get. Like, I don't really – I mean – you know, like you have some names of Ohio State guys. I mean, I, I don't know that there's enough. There's there's only one football being thrown. I don't know how we're going to satisfy all these hands. And, you know, speaking of tight ends, just how low to that room is. Yeah, receiver may not have as much depth uh, or quality depth as you may like. I mean, you know, recruiting star-wise, putting the stars, you're looking at all the stars Georgia has in the receiver room. They have a ton. Um, it's just about whether or not those guys are going to stay healthy. Uh, but in, you know, the tight end room, we talk about Oscar Delp. We talk about Eric Gilbert. We talk about Darnell Washington, Brock Bowers. Brock Bowers is probably the most measured name um, in that tight end room. But you also got Ryland Goody and Brett Seether, who are names that got some reps in, in the spring. You know, Ryland Goody uh, was playing in the spring uh, before he got an injury that sidelined him for the rest of the spring. Um, we're going to see what those guys can do. Brett Seether got a, you know, a, a ton of reps this spring, thanks to the injuries um, for the people, you know, to the people ahead of him, Eric Gilbert, uh, at, you know, looked amazing in that spring game. And, you know, if that's anything to go off of, you know, he, he could be in for a monster season. I think, he, you know, at some point, Dan, I, I know Kirby smart has kind of, you know, stepped on the brakes a little bit, put the brakes on the whole, you know, the whole hype around him. I think he wants to lower expectations for him. And I, you know, that's, 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 you know, to be expected um, of a head coach. You don't want to get these guys, as Dan said, you know, you want their heads to be, um, you know, too blown up and you don't want too much expectations on them. You don't want that pressure 
But, you know, you just want him to play freely. But you also bring back, you know, a guy in the receiver room like Dominic Blaylock who missed, you know, a ton of time with the two ACL injuries. Just a ton of time after, you know, a really promising freshman season. You know, it was one of the most exciting aspects of George's offense aside from George Pickens at receiver. It was Dominic Blaylock. So we're going to see what he looks like. Um, you know, my expectations for him – is he's he's probably gonna you know help compete in this you know for snaps in the slot with Kyrus Jackson you know Kyrus Jackson another guy that missed time last year I don't think was ever really fully 100 percent just because of that offseason knee surgery that lingered um but you know before that the season before last he had a really great connection with Stetson Bennett he led Georgia in receiving yards you know in 2020 um I think Pickens either play second or tied with Jackson at the end of the season which JT Daniels took over but Jackson was that you know that hot that hot route, you know, when Sesson Bennett needed to get out of trouble, he found Kyrus Jackson somehow. So, you know, I'm excited to see what those guys do. Um, the expectation for me is, you know, when Georgia lines up at receiver, it's going to be, you know, Adoni Mitchell out to one side of the field. You got Lab McConkey out to the other side of the field. And then you got Kyrus Jackson or Dominic Blaylock in the slot. Maybe you see Brock Bowers. I think Brock Bowers is definitely going to get some reps uh, in the slot because that's what Georgia's going to do. Um, maybe we get a Rick Gilbert, you know, playing, you know, all over. So, I mean, Georgia's offense is loaded. I'm really excited. You know, you got three names above Oscar Delp. He's going to be someone that I don't think gets a ton of reps against the number one defenses, you know, that Georgia's plays for starting defenses. But, Dan, you're going to get time in incubation period where you can really develop Oscar Delp. You know, by the time he's starting, by the time he's that big name in that room, he's going to be a stud. I, and, you know, I think that's the plan with that guy, too, is that, you know, they got him and they don't have to. But, you know, we have other guys coming in, too. Like, it's it's just – Georgia is so ridiculous right now. It's it's incredible. Like, you have – we've been throwing all, all these names, but they have other guys coming in, like Pierce Spearlin, Sperlin. Um, I mean, you have, uh, what, the number one tight end in the country who's wearing Georgia gloves at the Elite 11 competition. And, you know, he's talking about wanting to come here. You know, the one thing, if you look at Georgia's wide receivers – the one thing that they don't have is the little guy, right? The little speedster that lines up in the slot, gets lost in coverage, catches the ball, takes off. I mean, like, you know, Hunter Renfro is not the biggest guy in the world, is he? I don't think he's that massive. Um, you know, a lot of these te- – like the Danny Amendola type of guys. And, you know, for me personally, uh, you know, one of my friend's kids, Logan Johnson, Lojo, you know, he's tiny and he's a walk-on. And everybody's like, oh, he'll never see the field of Georgia. Well, he's – so quick and fast and, and he gets in and out of spaces that in it's Brock's guy. Uh, he tore his ACL last year and he's recovering. He's back there. He's running in a pool now, but I was, I was really excited um, to see if he would get any shot to get on the field in the slot because he's so different than everything that we have. I mean, we have big giant thoroughbred racehorses everywhere. And I, you know, there is a place in football for the little guy. There just is. There always has been. There always will be. But you have to be special. You have to be a special kind of guy. Logan is one of the best route runners I've ever seen. Getting in and out of breaks, super twitchy, fast, uh, extremely athletic. And he's like 5'5", five, 5'6". Five, five, he's tiny. But he's Rock a hell- number one option. You know, number one option. I mean, the guy, he loves him, and he had no problem finding him. So – um, I hope he gets healthy enough because I think that would be something good for Georgia to have just because it's so different than everything else. Maybe he never sees the field. Maybe this is just be trying to be overly optimistic. I'm not sure. But 
Well, I mean, it's just the one thing that stood out to me in the recruiting is if you look at the guys that Georgia brings in, they're bringing in a bunch of Julio Joneses, and they're not bringing in any Amendolas. So, but there's always going to be a place for that. So that's the one thing I think if if you're putting Georgia's receivers and tight ends on a list and saying check 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 the one thing that we don't have is that little tiny guy that could work in the slot um but you know like you said blaylock and jackson have done a really good job of doing that but there's it's just a different type of player like uh what's the the little white dude to play for alabama that gave us so much hell in the championship game um bolden was it bold and that guy's like what five ten five nine something like that something like that yeah yeah i mean but like we have big giants everywhere and they had such a hard time getting their hands on them. So all I'm saying is that's just the one thing that seems to be missing, but I don't think we're going to suffer from it. Absolutely. I think uh, the one thing that I need, the biggest question I got outside of the tight ends, where's your X factor? I, we talked about it last week. You know, I think, I, I think it was last week. I think I may have mentioned it. Uh, Arian Smith is the guy that I look to as someone who has a X-factor trait, um, whether it's just, you know, with his speed. Got to see him stay healthy. He's not participating in track this spring, so he's had a full offseason of football. Um, and, and hopefully he's been fully healthy. And uh, for the most part, he's been healthy. I know he was in no contact in, in the spring, kind of getting back from his um, broken leg that he suffered at the end of last year. Um, he has an elite trait. So, you know, I, I want to see him get involved. If he's healthy, he, you know, he's going to do damage. You know, Alabama's had great success with having a guy like Arian Smith. You know, Henry Ruggs, I mean, they're a little bit different because Henry Ruggs was a guy that can take a screen to the house where we haven't really seen that from Arian Smith just yet. But, you know, who's going to cover that guy? You know, the only guy on Georgia's roster that I've seen, uh, you know, just you have pictures of, you know, how many, how fast they've run miles per hour wise with those catapult trackers is Kaylee Ringo. That's the only guy that's put up a, a, a speed that was just as fast, if not faster than Arian Smith. So, you know, that's an elite trait. I want to see him get involved. He's going to be he's going to be one of your outside receivers. You can put him in the slot and, and have him go deep. Um, you know, when you're back in the backyard, back in the day, Dan, you know, if you're the receiver and you're just, you know, you weren't that good, you weren't that athletic, so you go long. Um, I don't know how often. I never got open, um, you know, but, you know, it can't happen. So I, I'm really excited to see what Georgia has all at receiver. Um, to your point, though, when, when, you know, I put that on – uh, the show notes because it was an example of what um, you know losing George Pickens um, there is no immediate replacement uh, and I think it's kind of getting you know that's why George is so underrated at receiver this year uh, because when you look at Ohio State they lost Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave two first round receivers two really good college receivers but they also got Jason Smith and Jigba coming back you know probably the best receiver in college football I mean we talked about it we were in open admiration a few weeks back you know, that Rose Bowl game was the single greatest performance from a receiver, I think, of all time. Uh, I think Larry Fitzgerald had a couple games like that where he was just, like, ridiculous. I, I'm, I'm sure there's some other guys, too. We're, we're totally going to miss people on that because, you know, we didn't look that up. But, you know, going back to your point on Arian Smith, we haven't really had a guy that's that electric since McCole Hardman left. I mean, McCole uh had no problem taking the top off one of the fastest most fluid athletes i've ever seen if you remember in the national championship against alabama the one that we uh lost unfortunately he burnt everybody down the sidelines and i'm talking about um was it from you know from historically underthrew everybody but 
he threw that son of a gun as far as he could possibly throw it, and McCole went and got it. And you know, Arian Smith's kind of the same way, and I would, I would kind of hope that they would try to use him in much in the same way that they use Hardman. But I don't know that they're necessarily the same athletes. And and forgive me, but I haven't really seen enough of him to really have an opinion. So I'm not really sure who's gonna be that guy. But um, man, there's just like I said, there's so much talent in that room, and you know, losing George Pickens, right? George Pickens is special. He really is, and he could do some great things. But at the end of the day, for injuries or suspensions or whatever the case may be, he was never on. Uh, like he didn't do for us what like AJ Green did for us, right? Like I, I think he's as talented. Don't get me wrong; I'm not saying the guy's not talented, but like AD Mitchell can replace him because he didn't. He he didn't catch for like 1500 yards and you know 20 touchdowns he didn't do that it was he would make big plays when we needed to well you're trying to tell me that 80 couldn't do that i i don't believe that i mean he had one of the biggest catches in georgia history in the national championship game as a freshman so you know i i think we do have an immediate replacement for him and i think his name is ad mitchell i'm speechless because you know Yes, there there is definitely that side of AD. We just got to see it more. That's the the big thing is we got to see it more. He made the biggest catch in the biggest stage. Probably, I mean, it was a harder catch than I, well, maybe not harder catch than, than what George Pickens had. But, but you say you say you got to see more, but then you could say the same thing about Pickens. Yeah, you needed to see more. So I mean, it's you know, I, I get what this you're was supposed ahead. to be. This was supposed to be Pickens, you know, big year this past season. It was supposed yeah. to be the year for him. Uh, and, and Sally, the ACCL injury, sidelined that. Uh, you know, it, it was amazing enough to just see him return and get back on the field to finish his Georgia career the way he wanted to uh, with the national championship. But, you know, Georgia has, you know, like to Dan's credit, has a ton of options. And, you know, they found A.D. Mitchell was a diamond in the rough. Uh, and they brought him in. He made the biggest catch and, you know, one of the biggest catches in Georgia history. But, guys, that is going to wrap it up for episode 47 of the Top Top Talk podcast that was Dan Colley. I'm Harrison Reno. Dan, real quick, I'm going to flash up the, the little banner um, so I can remember what your Twitter handle is. Um, it is at Dan Kiley 3 if I'm correct. Dan, do you have anything to add before we uh, let the people go this Friday night? No, man, that was a super packed uh, episode, and I feel like we cut so many corners just to get through it, but uh, that was a lot of information. I hope uh, I hope people enjoyed listening. Absolutely. Guys, you can go find Dan at DanCollie3 on Twitter. Go interact with him. Go shoot him some DMs. Um, even go like his tweets and retweet him. Let's get him up. Um, you know, let's get him up to, to over 500 followers. and get Dude, him I'm pathetic. I am pathetic. I have, like, nobody following me. Come on, guys. <laughs> let's get him up there, guys. He also is a baseball enthusiast. Former, uh, my, you, you were a former minor league umpire, professional umpire. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's well-versed in a lot of games. Oh, you're – um... Your robo umpire conversation just got a lot hotter because the MLB came out and said they will be using uh, electronic umpires in 2025. So it is 100% happening now. We so, got some more on that, actually, because I think Dan is trying to hook us up with a special edition of the Top Doll Talk podcast coming for episode 50. Dan, yes. if you want to elaborate that just on a tiny bit, um, go ahead. So my goal is right now to um, either bring in uh, – well, I'm not going to name names, but I have two different guys. One guy was uh, in the running to be the minor league uh, president of minor all of minor league baseball. Uh, umpire, uh, he was an umpire. He was the head instructor at Wendelstadt. 
And then the other um, is one of my guys is uh, he is the commissioner of two different baseball leagues. Um, and he is an umpire. Uh, he, I'm sorry. He's a commissioner of the umpires or whatever. Um, I've got a couple of big names that I'm trying to get in on the show. My only hesitation is that I don't know how much they're going to be willing to talk because they are part of the union and they're not trying to get kicked out of it because that union is uh, really good to be part of. <laughs> but guys, stay tuned for that. We'll have more details as we get closer. We are on the road to 50 episodes, and we're also on the road to Georgia football being back. I think we're at 64 days. I'm excited. New season coming up. We're about to get into the meat of the offseason, the, the final home stretch. Guys, that was Dan Kelly. I'm Harrison Reno. We'll see you back next week. Reminder, next Friday, we will have more information um, as we get closer to that date. Got to talk with Dan to see what time works best for everybody. Um, so see you back next week, guys, for episode 48 of the Top Dog Talk podcast.